Good morning, all. Uh, welcome to service this uh, third Advent Sunday and first day of spring. Um, like to encourage everyone to, uh, if they could, complete the uh, pad at the end of each pew. For, uh, please put your names down so we can know who's here and welcome each other accordingly. Um, and with that, I think we're ready to start the service. Bruce?
just how perfect it is to start us out for our joyful week. Thank you very much. Friends, please join me in our responsive call to worship. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. With joy you will give thanks to the Lord and call on God's name. Let us worship God. Join me in the prayer of the day. You put a glad song on our lips, O God of salvation, for in you we can trust and not be afraid. In Christ is announced our source of deliverance. Through him the lame walk and the outcasts are praised. Soon you will gather your people for a festival of salvation. We assemble now in Christ's name to rejoice and boast of your goodness. Thank you for your sign of joy. Amen. How many Presbyterians does it take to change a light bulb? The answer is none. God has predestined when the lights will be on and when they will be off. How many prophets like John does it take to change a light bulb? Only one. But the bulb must repent of its darkness and be willing to be changed. 
How many worshipers need to repent for having unscrewed the light of hope and peace and joy? Every one. Let us pray. Source of salvation, what shall we do? Our lives are unworthy of the goodness you offer. We complain of our condition when our wants go unnoticed. Contentment eludes us since we have plenty. Still yearn for more. Millions face hunger while we fret over abundance. Through Christ, forgive us and encourage us to share our bread with the hungry and our homes with those who lack shelter. Amen. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9. And this promise of the gospel is for you and for your children. Amen. with the glow of your everlasting Sunday we lit the candle of peace. On the first Sunday we added the candle that represents the joy of the hope of Jesus arrival. Today we add the candle that represents the joy of the news that was ultimately shared with them by the angel and the angel choir. Our deepest joy is in God and in God's Son, Jesus Christ. We like hope and peace. Joy is a gift from God. It overtakes us and fills us when we remember that God has done and what God has promised to do. One of the most joyous hmm. one of the most joyous verses in the Bible comes from us. Luke tells us about the shepherds outside of Bethlehem. It is the opening line in one of the most fa- famous what the famous stories in that region. There were shepherds living in the fields. 
keeping watch over their flocks by night. Luke 2.8. These shepherds were terrified at the sight of the angel army that accompanied one who was told of a baby who had been born nearby. The story tells us that with joy they ran with haste to see for themselves. To the least likely on the sociological scale that time, God's messengers had revealed the good news of great joy to all people. Most of us wonder who was left to take care of the sheep. The sheep were God's precious creatures, too. The Bible does not tell us, but some of us think that the angels stayed behind to care for the sheep. Like so many who are part of the Christmas story, that which the world might think to be unimportant is significant to God. The prophet Isaiah promised to those who would listen, You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will be burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. He was talking about the return of Israelites to their homes, but his profound prophecy foretelling the word of God. So with you now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Let us pray. O God of faithfulness, we pray you send your joy into our hearts. Remind us that you will come at unexpected times, but that we should be living lives that prepare us to be always ready for your appearing. May we know you more fully and show to the world that you abide within our hearts, that direct new actions. Please live in us and help us to live in you. May the message revealed so long ago help us honor your incarnation. Amen. Sandy, Cassie, and Tony, thank you for enhancing our worship this morning. It's delightful to have had you moved from the south to join us so recently here in Rochester. And what a joy to have Sadie Oldfield helping us out this morning. I'm delighted that the three of the three triplets, the third of the three triplets, has done such a marvelous job this morning. I'd like to invite Rob Rhodes, our treasurer, to come forward because he's got some joyful good news to share with us on this bounteous third Sunday in Advent. Thank you, Carrie. Uh, just a brief stewardship report uh, in keeping with the theme of joy this morning. Uh, this past week, we received 11 additional pledges, totaling about $16,000. So at this point, we're uh, about $604,000 and just about 20000 below where we finished last year's campaign. Uh, we're most grateful for the 224 families and individuals who've made a commitment so far for this stewardship campaign. And we do realize that there's circumstances that may affect uh, one's ability uh, in the coming years, but to the extent that uh, you uh, are able to make a commitment, 
It really helps us in our budgeting process as we look at 2016. Um, as you may have noted in the bulletin, to the extent that you wish to make a uh, contribution or pledge for 2015 or to prepay a pledge for 2016, uh, we need to have that into the church office by Tuesday, the 5th of January, in order to properly reflect on your uh, 2015 year-end statement. We've been blessed and help us to be a blessing to others. Thank you. Rob, we thank you for your faithfulness. Our gospel lesson for today picks up on the theme that the Sea Cats were reading about in our Advent wreath lighting liturgy. You know, of course, in Luke 3 that we've already come through the birth narrative of Luke 2. We've had an opportunity for Jesus to be seen by Simeon and Anna, and then he terrifies his parents by leaving them, and they're not being able to find him as they're heading back to their hometown. And he's been in the temple at Jerusalem. At the beginning of Luke 3, we are introduced to John the Baptist, and John has something to say to each one of us. I invite us to hear his message. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked John, What then should we do? In reply, John said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked John, Teacher, what should we do? And John said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked John, And we, what should we do? And John said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not, on, I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff will be burned with an unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, John proclaimed the good news to the people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this is the third week in Advent. I have the joy of welcoming our young people into the chancel. Come on up, friends. Nice boots, Cassie. Well read this morning, darling. Did you all notice the light boxes behind me? What do they say? You saw them? They say joy, don't they? Pretty cool, huh? Really great. Good to have you this morning. 
I'm glad you're visiting your cousins. This is great. Glad to have you. Good morning, Hilgers. How are you, ladies? Lovely, lovely, lovely. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. Oh, Rachel, you're right there. What needs to be open today on the 13th? Let's see. Can you open the 13 for me? It's another sheep. Wow. Third Sunday of Advent. Are you guys doing this at home? Opening up your Advent calendar? See Craig, okay? If you keep on forgetting one, Craig has extras, okay? See Craig. He's got a calendar at home for you. Tilly, yours has chocolate? Nice. Can I have some? (laughs) Caring is sharing. There you go. So, friends, I have a question for you. Have you ever heard the expression, baptism by fire? You have? What does it mean? You know, I think a lot of your parents and grandparents might be saying the same thing. We've heard the expression, but really don't know what it means. Do you know where it comes from? What we just read in the Gospel of Luke, and also it's repeated in the Gospel of Matthew, John says that he's got a baptism by water, but that the person who comes after him, who comes after John the Baptist, is going to have a baptism by the Holy Spirit and fire. Who comes after John the Baptist? Any guesses? Jesus. That's right. Come on, guys. Nine times out of ten, when a pastor asks you a question, the answer is Jesus. Okay? So Jesus is the one who's going to baptize us with fire, and it sort of means... If this is your first time doing something, it's going to go poorly. You're going to be baptized by fire, right? I know. That doesn't sound very joyful, does it? But wait a minute. What happens in our baptism with water? You all have been baptized here. A lot of you have been baptized here or in other churches. What happens when we're baptized with water? I like this. Did you hear that? I have no idea. Your head gets wet, that's right. You get cleaned. You get washed. Symbolically, that means that your sins, those things that you know you really shouldn't be doing, right? Those get washed away. And you're prepared. You're made ready. I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. You're prepared for the spotlight of God's love. You're prepared for the light to shine through your life. What do you see on the light boxes, guys? I see presents. I see joy. An angel, right? Tree branches, angels, music notes. Great, but you wouldn't see them if the light wasn't there. You wouldn't see them if the light wasn't there. So we need to be prepared with our baptisms by water to be able to take the light so that the light doesn't burn us. Right? So if we're baptized and prepared, if we get ready, when we get baptized by Jesus, the light, that light can shine through us. It doesn't burn us. Pretty cool, huh? Would you guys like a reminder of Jesus being the light of the world and you all being able to reflect that light and to shine through with hope 
peace, joy, and I'll give you a little prelude for next week. Anybody know what we're going to be talking about next week? Love. Love. Shall we pray about it, friends? God in heaven, thank you for being the light of the world. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for reminding us that we've been baptized and washed clean, ready to prepare ourselves for your light so that we can shine it in the world. Help us to show through hope, peace, joy, and love. Now, there are plenty of candles up here. Everybody gets one. Calmly, calmly, I emphasize calmly, help yourself to a light. And have a great time in the kingdom, friends. Go ahead. Any siblings who didn't get one? Anybody who wants to get one? Okay. Parents, grandparents, you want one? When we open our text to Philippians, um, Paul's a little bit concerned about Yodia and Syntyche, two women in the church who've been having a problem arguing with each other in the kitchen, and so he addresses that. And then we pick up what he has to say at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Testament lesson for today is taken from the prophet Zephaniah, not to be confused with Zechariah, the prophet Zephaniah, one of those minor prophets who's preaching in the time, we believe, of good King Josiah. You might recall that Josiah is the one who found those scrolls and called all of Israel to repent, read them to Judah, Jerusalem, went into a long period of fasting and preparation. And Zephaniah the prophet is one who tells us to turn back to God, warns us of the things that might be coming, and when we do repent, tells us what joy we can expect. And this is where we pick up in our reading from this morning. I invite each one of us to hear God's word. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise, and their renown will be known in the earth. At that time I will bring you home, at the time when I gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
on their feet for that one. Bravo, bravo. Are you a pack rat? You know what I'm talking about. No, this isn't an appeal for Presbyterian Women's annual penny pincher sale. That comes later, and there are people who do it much better than I do. Pack rats are the ones who save any number of things that eventually might come in handy. Cellars, garages, attics, sheds, barns, and closets filled with boxes, furniture, albums, collections, worn-out clothing, memorabilia, you name it. Being a pack rat can be a serious condition. Don't underestimate it, friends. It needs support. Hi, my name is Carrie, and I'm a recovering pack rat. <laughs> because I've lived in 14 different states, my tendency to be a pack rat has been curbed by sheer necessity. My dilemma is not most often, what do I throw away? It's, what do I keep, and why? Take, for example, the move back in my 20s from D.C. to Atlanta. I almost threw out my Bibles. I mean, I hadn't been a member of the church since I was 16 years old, and I certainly hadn't read them, but I was rebelling. God knew, and I knew, that the God I was worshiping as a kid was worshipped by a bunch of hypocrites, you know what I'm talking about. The people who preach about sin and forgiveness and about being better every day, and then they go right on sinning. Sound familiar? Sound like you and me? Well, in my hubris and ignorance, I decided to pay homage to the worldly goods of success, power, and workaholism. But something kept me from throwing away my Bibles. These Bibles were special to me. I don't know if you can see it, but my maiden name's on here. This is the Bible that I was given in third grade. And this is the Bible that I was given for confirmation in eighth grade, and it's got my name on it, inscribed in this lovely leather. And it's got a bunch of bulletins stuck in it, including one where Peter Jessen, my pastor, asked me to lead worship, and, and I'm, I'm in there. I couldn't throw these away. Personalizing the Bible was enough to keep me from rebelliously ditching them. Zephaniah reminds us that God's people, the Israelites, went through a period of rebellion as well. Have you ever heard a sermon preached on the Old Testament prophet Zephaniah? No, I hadn't either. That's why I wanted to look at it. This book is a fascinating quick read. Zephaniah prophesies to the rebellious Israelites. He warns them that God will pass judgment on them and the nations around them, and then promises that God will restore them to God's glory and favor. You see, this is the prophecy coming before the uh, exile to Babylon. And as a result, God's people rejoice at everything that Zephaniah is telling them. Now, if you have ever tried to read Zephaniah or any of the other Old Testament prophets, you know that the languages and the references can seem very strange and downright bizarre. I remember the first time I really tried to read through the prophet Zephaniah, and I, I was so confused that I gave up. 
I went into my pastor's study in Atlanta. I said to him, Chris, I don't get this. I'm reading the way I was taught, and it doesn't make any sense. And Chris said, wait a minute, Carrie, you're just reading the wrong way. What? I'm reading for character, plot, facts. I'm trying to figure out the chronology. There's supposed to be some kind of a story here. And he said, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to read the prophetic writings as if they were literal. You're supposed to put yourself into the story. You see, when we begin to feel the fear and the worry that the prophet Zephaniah was getting across to the people of Israel that they were experiencing, giving them a sense of all the things that were going wrong in their lives so they could understand, we can understand that. And then we can hear of God's good news and joy that we can have when we turn back to God. Hi, my name's Carrie. I'm still a recovering pack rat. The oldest book in my library was actually given to me in 1973. It's called My Special Christmas. Do any of you remember when you could send away with your kids' names and a few of their pets and their friends, and somebody would personalize it for you? Well, this story is really cool because my three best girlfriends and my dog, Ketch, are in this book, The Stockings That Are Hung by the Chimney with Care. My three girlfriends and I are whisked away by Santa overnight, and we're taken to five different places. And in those five different places, we have to pick up very important gifts so that we can discover the true meaning of Christmas. And when we get back to the North Pole... The five different gifts are P-E-A-C-E. The true meaning of Christmas. I saved the story because I'm in it. The biblical writers expect their story to stick with us when we put ourselves in it. By seeing ourselves personally in the stories. Maybe we're Peter asking Jesus, How many times do I have to forgive that annoying family member who comes back and knows just how to get me right underneath the skin? Right there, right there. How many times? Or maybe somebody in our family is behaving like the prodigal child who's come back for Thanksgiving and totally upended the celebration. Or maybe the prodigal child who's coming back for Christmas and we're all worried about that prodigal child coming back. Or maybe we can chart out the cycle of our life as it appears in Zephaniah. We rebel against God. God restores us again and again and again. And then we rejoice about God's continuous forgiveness to us. So where are we in the story? Are we angry at God for the crummy state of the world? And are we acting out rebelliously? Because everything else out there looks so bad, well, we can be bad too. Are we feeling restored to God's favor? Or perhaps we're the little drummer boy, just tapping out a contented song, ready to praise God and rejoice. Rejoice. Yes, this is the third week of Advent, the week for rejoicing. And we had a marvelous reading from the from Philippians. It's known as Paul's joy letter. Paul's letter to the Philippians is known this way because there are 16 times where we hear joy or rejoice, kara or karate in the Greek. 
Did you know that the woman's name Carol comes from Kara? It means song of joy. Christmas carols, songs of joy. Did you know that Paul's letter of joy to the Philippians was written from a jail cell? Wow. How could that be? Paul had learned that joy is not dependent upon our external circumstances, but on our internal state of mind. Joy is, in fact, a poignant contrapuntal to pain. Joy doesn't negate pain or wipe it out. Rather, joy is a state of mind that acknowledges pain and even so chooses to delight in those things that are gifts to us. This internal state of mind not only offsets, but can far outweigh pain. The Presbyterian pastor and author Frederick Beekner tells us, quote, Joy is a mystery because it can happen anywhere, anytime, even under the most unpromising circumstances, even in the midst of suffering with tears in its eyes, even nailed to a tree. Have any of you heard of the pioneering football coach, Amos Alonzo Stagg? You've heard of the Stagg Bowl, perhaps, College Bowl. Amos Alonzo Stagg served as the head football coach at the University of Chicago, 1892 to 1932. He then went on to the College of the Pacific, 1933 to 1946. He compiled a career college football record of 314 wins. 199 losses, and 35 ties. At one time, he was the winningest coach in college football. His Chicago Maroons team of 1905 and 1913 were recognized as national champions. And just as if he wasn't doing enough with the college guy, with the football guys, he was also the University of Chicago's head, head football coach for a year, and he coached their baseball's team for 19 seasons. Slacker. The reason I know about this extraordinary coach and athlete is because together he and his son, Amos Alonzo Stagg Jr., coached the football team at my alma mater, Susquehanna University, between 1947 and 1952. Stagg was nicknamed the Grand Old Man, not just for his athletic ability and his coaching record, but because of the caliber of his character. He regretfully retired from coaching in 1953, saying that his wife, his best friend, his assistant coach, needed his assistance. They had celebrated 70 years of marriage together before she died at age 88, just six months before he died at the young age of 102. Stagg credited his wife with getting him through the most painful times in his life, and so he wanted to joyously do the same for her. How many of us have listened to pain specialists who urge us to keep ahead of the pain? Now, they're not trying to push unnecessary narcotics upon us. It's really important. Pain specialists know that when pain becomes too severe and excruciating, it becomes the lens through which the rest of life is seen. Healing is postponed or even negated entirely. Instead, joy should be the illuminating factor in our lens. So what 
What takes away the most from joy? Is it pain? Actually, it's not. Fear, anxiety, worry, rushing around, busyness. Christ repeatedly tells the disciples and us, be not afraid. Paul and Zephaniah tell us in today's writings, do not fear, do not worry. It's easy to say, isn't it? It's like telling your your neighbor, it's okay, it's all all right. So how can we be confident of this message from Jesus and the prophets and from Paul? The whole of scripture witnesses to this pattern. Rebellion, restoration, and rejoicing. The power of God's love for us, friends, is inescapable and inexorable. Paul tells us in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation. Now, some of us might rightfully be skeptics of Paul in certain areas. And you and I know people who have not yet accepted God's love. Not yet. Scientists tell us that at one point in time, our world endured an eternal winter. Glaciers covered the earth. Their inexorable movement permitted nothing to escape. The world as we knew it with many different species of flora, fauna, and animals disappeared. How did the glaciers start? With one single snowflake. The snowflake became a pile. The pile became a mound. The mound became a drift. And the drift eventually became... 64 feet high. And glaciers move at 64 feet. The $64,000 question for you and for me, friends, is when do we move to the power of God's love? We move when we put ourselves in the gospel story. John the Baptist urges the crowds and us to put ourselves in the story with today's gospel reading. As the crowds listened to his message of repentance, they asked John, What then shall we do? And John's answer is simple. It's the main answer in Luke's gospel and in the book of Acts. What then shall we do? We are to let ourselves be cleaned by God, to repent, to turn around, and to live out the gospel. A Rochesterian, Walter Rauschenbusch, spent his life urging others to find joy in their lives by living out the gospel. He said, quote, The real joy of life is in things we do for the joy and love of doing them, apart from profit, compulsion, or duty. Have you ever tried to motivate someone to do something that they did not want to do? And I'm not just talking about toddlers. I'm talking about your loved ones, your colleagues, your friends, your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews. If they don't want to do it, they are not going to do it. Profit, compulsion, or duty are poor motivators. Joy, deep joy, that's what motivates us. Here in Rochester, we're blessed with a whole museum to that concept, the Museum of Play. Joy is what moves us. Amos Alonzo Stagg knew that. Winning was never his motivator. 
He upheld fair play and high standards. And his boys, sorry ladies, there were no women playing for him at the time. His boys knew that they would be held to a very high standard, and they rose to it. You know, while Stagg was playing football for Yale, did you know that he seriously considered becoming a minister? Finding himself uncomfortable addressing large crowds, he decided against ministry and instead wanted to follow his joy, the joy he found in coaching others in small and intimate settings. Amongst Stagg's many football innovations, he's credited with creating the huddle as a means of communicating plays and building cohesive unity in the teams. Now, I didn't know that. I thought that the huddle had been around since the dawn of time. It actually started with Gallaudet University. You know the university in Washington, D.C. that has individuals who have hearing challenges? The Gallaudet players all knew American Sign Language, so for them to communicate plays... They needed to do it in the huddle. Stagg saw that and said, hey, I can do that one better. We're not just going to communicate plays, but this is the chance for my quarterback to talk to his team members, to get them psyched, to build this unity that says, you're motivated by the joy that we have of playing together. Stagg found great joy when those that he coached excelled in the game of life. And so can we. In this time of Advent preparation for the birth of Christ, I invite us to put ourselves into the story, to let God's love wash us clean, and to share the joy of the good news. Amen. Thank you so much, Carrie. Reformed theology could be put together as the anachronism, God loves me, G. Because God loves me, I now can love others. If I had that anachronism right, it's G-I-N, which spells gin, which would not look good in a Presbyterian bulletin. And so we have joy which is how we live that theology out, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. And that is the approach toward the offering. Together, let's use this prayer. Gracious God, whatever is true, we owe to your mercy. The honorable and just reflect your goodness. When we are pure, it is because you forgive us. Whatever is lovely is a gift of your grace. All of our excellence is due to your kindness. Receive now what we offer as signs of thanksgiving. Amen.
you have a couple of cards there, sir. Yes, uh, Carrie, I do. Uh, we've been asked to remember in prayer today Shea Culp. Um, uh, this is uh, Dan Culp's young son. Some of you know Dan. He was a director of youth ministry for us for a number of years. And uh, Shea has been moved to Buffalo Children's Hospital and has just undergone his third surgery. And, um, and he's facing additional complications from this. So uh, we've been asked to do that. Actually, Dan was supposed to have a book signing yesterday at uh, a bookstore in Penfield, and he canceled that, and this is the reason why. Yeah. Uh, we've also been asked to remember uh, the passing of Art Lowenthal Friday. And um, uh, also, I thought we should be re- in remembrance of, of Jim Hotelling, who uh, still is in a lot of discomfort, uh, but doing better. And every day that you see less fluid on Jim, it's a good sign. truly is. Thank you, Bruce. We're also thankful for the glorious flowers that are in the sanctuary. The ones on the retable remind us of the love that the Van Dorns share with those that are departed. And the ones that are in front of the communion table remind us of the life and love that Muriel Nothard shared so plentifully with so many. 
And the, the beautiful little rosebud on the communion table is to remind us and give thanks for a generous gift from the estate of Ginny Allen that will be used to sustain the mission and ministry of this congregation for generations to come. We give thanks and praise for all those things. We're also thankful that this afternoon we have new families moving into the church. We're delighted that rain will make this week our house their home. And we're thankful for the many volunteers who make this a hospitable place. We're also keeping in prayer Elena Travis, who underwent eye surgery to remove a cyst. And thankfully it was a benign cyst and she's doing much better. We're praying also for Ken Anderson, who had a stone removed and I understand he's got better appetite, and we're thankful that he's doing well. Jeff and Betty, thank you for getting him to and from. Much appreciated. John Degenhart fell and is now in the friendly home. And Deborah Fernays went to England to be with her mother because her mother also fell, and and Deborah got right on a plane to take care of her. Please keep in prayer all of these individuals. Please keep in prayer our new officers. We're going to be staying briefly for a congregational meeting after worship. And I want to also um, hold up an incredible cast, Pittsburgh Mendon Musicals, that includes several of our young people put on Legally Blonde this weekend. It was uproariously funny, and they did a tremendous job. Friends, we give thanks for all of these many gifts. Please join me in prayer. eternal and loving God, ever gracious. We who are your gathered people come to you now in communal prayer, revealing the thoughts and motives that we tend to hide from ourselves as well as from one another. Lord God, you bring to light the subtle delusion and deceits that darken our minds and our hearts and that unsettle our relationships. We thank you, O God, for those who are a mirror for us, those who speak truth to us, causing us to look at ourselves honestly as people and as a church and as a society. We thank you for the Advent days during which your love convicts and challenges and opens us to change. We pray for the courage to recognize, O God, that we cannot remake our lives by self-effort. We do pray for others today, for help for those who close their ears to the voice that calls to repentance. We pray for those who are in the desert of self-abasement because of their sin. We pray for all of those we have mentioned this morning, and we pray for their families. We pray for the upholding of preachers and prophets in our time and those who bear the challenge of speaking truth to those who do not want to hear it. And we pray that we all might be able to live the words we so easily say when we pray as Jesus taught, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
got through that whole note and the tricky extra half note beyond that. Incredible. Keep your bulletins out, friends, because our benediction today is one that we can share. It's taken from and adapted from Philippians 4.7. Put ourselves into the story. Let ourselves be washed clean by God's love. And then go radiate that joy with God's light into a world that needs it. The peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God. And of God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, remain with you always. Amen. We will be holding a brief congregational meeting for the purpose of receiving additional nominations. The chair of the nominating committee, uh, Bill Smith, is coming to the front and will present us with those. And Madam Clerk, I see that you're here. I suggest that uh, your minutes reflect that this uh, meeting was preceded with worship and with prayer. Bill, we're ready to receive your report. We're welcoming new deacon uh, Jackson Mooney, a class of 2017, it's a two-year term. He's a youth deacon. Class of 2018, this is the second term, continuing a term. Joan Atardo, Barbara Peters, Mark Plessinger, Kelly Travis, Carolyn Yakel. Uh, do you want to do the... Okay, thank you very much. That's your slate of nominations for the... Office of Deacon. Deacons. Uh, the floor is now open. Any other nominations you would like to make? And I would ask that a motion be made that these persons be elected by acclamation. It's moved. And I see a second. Any discussion? All in favor, say aye. aye. Opposed, no. It's so ordered. Thank you. Sessions as elders. Class of 2017, Betsy Wilson. Class of 2018, the second term, Dave Ferris, Doug Peters, Sonia Poe, Melissa Schmidt. And that's it for session. Thank you very much. Uh, the floor is now open to receive additional nominations, if any of you would like to make them. Seeing none, I would entertain a motion that these be elected by acclamation as well. I see you're the second. Any discussion? All those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed say no. It is ordered this way. For trustees, class of 2016, Judith Lombards. Uh, class of 2018, second term, Robert Rhodes. And that concludes my report. Thank you very much. The floor is now open for additional nominations for the Office of Trustee. Seeing none, I would ask for a motion that these be elected unanimously. Is there a second? Anybody object? Then I challenge you. They are elected unanimously. Good. Thank you. Bill Smith, thank you so much. This is a busy day for you, I know, because there's a lot of things being set up for rain, and you and Barb are at the bottom of that. And uh, this report reflects an awful lot of work. We do our meeting briefly. But the work that you've done has been wonderful. And thank you so much for what you make happen in our upstairs this week as we become a host 
home for these homeless families. We appreciate the support of the congregation. It's very important. We now need to have a motion that this meeting be adjourned. I don't see any objections. We must adjourn with prayer. Lord God, we give you thanks for this day, for the opportunity to worship, to consider your word and how it challenges us and changes us. We are thankful for the ministry and mission done through the people of this congregation. We ask that you might use us all, that the world might be a place of peace and joy. We ask it in the Master's name. Amen. We are adjourned.